Welcome, friends. Thank you for joining this episode of Down the Line. My name is Brett Sikora, and I'm your host. Today, we're explaining the different levels that you can play at when you're searching for colleges. And I had a lot of fun in the last episode when we were talking about the mistakes people make in the recruiting process. That has generated some great conversations with some of you. So I decided to take on another topic with a lot of misconceptions associated with it. We're going to take some time to dig into the three different levels of the NCAA, take a look at the NAI, and junior colleges as well. We'll be sharing with you which college programs have athletic scholarship money available, how much, hint, hint, it's a lot more than you think. And there are some important recruiting rules that are different between the levels. And lastly, we'll compare the amount of time investment required at each level. Then I will give you some factors that I think you should consider when choosing what level is the right fit for you. It's time to take it down the line. Let's go. Look, getting into college is stressful for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a student, a student athlete, or a parent trying to help navigate a landscape that has changed so much since you yourself went through this process. And whether you're getting your recruiter to play sports in college or not, having someone walk you through the admissions process from start to finish is extremely important. I'm very excited to announce that we are forming a partnership with Your College Contact. Who is College Contact? Well, they are a technology platform that connects high school students with college undergraduates for more affordable and accessible college admission advising. Translation, your student gets to meet with a current college student at their favorite university. Once you set up an initial meeting with them, they will match your high schooler to a college student based on your preferences. This college student will mentor and advise your high schooler through the entire process. From forming a college list, to brainstorming and writing college essays, to applying for scholarships and financial aid. The best part? It's extremely affordable. And use our special discount code to receive 20% off all services. Just use the code TRIBE20, that's T-R-I-B-E-2-0, at checkout to receive the discount. For more information, check the link in the description below. Now, back to today's episode. At Tribe Volleyball, we feel that we do a really thorough job of helping you navigate through their college recruiting process. And our goal is to help you find a college home where you can be successful both athletically and academically. And while we're really locked in on the volleyball side of the equation, we can always use a little help on the academic side of things, specifically when it comes to helping our student athletes navigate the world of high academic colleges. Perhaps you've ever wondered about whether or not you should be filling out your schedule with ACE, AP, or honors classes. Maybe you've had questions about how you can separate yourself from all the other students going through the same process that you are. Or even if you've simply had questions about how to navigate the college admissions process in general. This is why we're excited to be partnering with Your College Contact. Want to see College Contact is all about? Just take a look at the platform's marketing videos, which they have an audience of over 13 million viewers worldwide. And once you've witnessed how College Contact has helped over 1,500 students just like you get into their top college choices, Go to their website and use the code TRIBE20. That's T-R-I-B-E-2-0 at checkout for 20% off any of their services. Please see the link in the description below for more details. Now, back to the show. Athletic scholarships has an area that has a lot of misunderstanding with it, and rightfully so, especially at the Division I level. D1 volleyball is considered to be a headcount sport, which means that on any roster, only 12 athletes can be on any kind of athletic scholarship. And not all schools are fully funded. Fully funded schools have 12 full rides that had to hand out to those 12 players. Not fully funded schools have less than 12. 
Sometimes they might have seven, eight, nine, or 10 scholarships. And typically that level of funding is similar in the different conferences. So you don't have one team in a conference with 12 full rides and other members of the conference with seven or eight. That's kind of unfair, but it does happen at some level. And there are 337 different volleyball schools at the D1. So there is probably a wide range in scholarship money available within the programs. So that's something to take into account when you're looking at level of success, wins and losses, and level play. Now, the NCAA roster size for D1 is 17, which means if there are 12 scholarship athletes, there are five walk-ons. Walk-on is a term that we use to refer to athletes who are recruited, who are great players, and they just simply receive no athletic money. Now, these players probably have opportunity to receive scholarship at a different conference, at a different level, and they chose just for whatever reason that that school was best fit for them, and the amount of money that they received to play wasn't a factor that they needed to take into consideration. Scholarships at the Division II level is a little bit different. D2 is considered an equivalency sport, which means that these scholarships can be broken up among multiple athletes. A fully funded program has eight scholarships that they can use in any manner that they choose. There's no limit to the number of players who are on some sort of athletic scholarship, and they're allowed to package with academic scholarships. So this means you can have players on a roster that are on a full ride. This is really easy to do if you're a great student. And the way this works is coaches will take a look at the amount of academic scholarship you're receiving, and then they'll add athletic scholarship money on top of that. That way, it makes your out-of-pocket expense greatly reduced and allows you to consider Division II programs as well as some Division I programs as far as when it comes down to how much it's going to cost to play. That allows you to take a look at some of the other factors like fit, level of impact, and make your choice from there. Unfortunately, D3 schools aren't allowed to offer any athletic scholarships, but they do offer a wide range of academic scholarships. The NAI has eight scholarships similar to Division II, but they're usually smaller private or religiously affiliated schools. Also, the NAI has lower restrictions in terms of initial eligibility. So say you weren't such a great student in high school, this might be a route for you. Then lastly, junior college, they play in the NJCAA, and that has three divisions. A fully funded junior college school has 14 athletic scholarships available. So actually, they can have more players on their team on scholarship than any other level. Those are two-year schools and a full ride to a D1 junior college school. It offers you tuition, room and board, which means you don't have to pay much. So this is a great way for you to go take control of your recruiting and then go find a way to get paid for two years of school. Whenever you graduate, you can then move on to play at any four-year school, whether it be in the NCAA or NAIA. Division II junior college schools, they can offer you scholarships, however, just for tuition and books. You'd be required to pay for your housing, so you might consider this if there's a Division II junior college in your town or close to where you live where you could drive and commute from. But regardless of which level of junior college school you graduate from, once you have your associates, you can then go to any four-year school. Rules regarding recruiting, how and when college coaches can interact with you, is another area we're going to find some significant differences between the levels, especially in terms of emails, phone calls, and campus visits. To best discuss this, we're going to go from least restrictive on up. Division three, NAI, and junior college, they can respond to emails, phone calls, and texts at any time. You don't have to wait until June 15th. So 
if you're creating your list and you have academics in mind, it's great to put these schools on the list. The Division Three schools can respond to your email. You can have interactions. You can even set up phone calls to learn about the school. This is great practice because, let's face it, we don't spend a lot of time talking on the phone anymore. So this is a skill that you can build before the other schools on your list, Division One and Division Two, are able to talk to you about their programs. So that way, it allows you to be more comfortable. Now, Division Two, they have no contact with student-athletes prior to June 15th when it comes to phone calls, which means they are not allowed to initiate any calls calling you to let them know that you're interested in them. However, you are allowed to call them. So you can have a phone call with a Division II coach if you can get them on the phone. And a great way to do this is simply by saying to them and send them an email that you're interested in having a phone call to learn more about the school, learn more about the program, learn more about the volleyball. You could say, hey, coach, I would love to have a call with you at 3 o'clock on Wednesday. Hope to see you then. Then on Wednesday, you could send an email at 2.50 and let them know, coach, I'm planning on calling in 10 minutes. Hope we get a chance to talk. Then at that point, you have a phone call and you get to know them and you get to hear all about the awesome school, volleyball program, and et cetera. Now, this is a big difference from Division One because after the 2019 rule change, you're not allowed to do that anymore. College coaches have a strict no-contact policy with any athletes prior to June 15th of their junior year. This means if you're a 15- and 16-year-old, they can't call you, you can't call them. And the same is true for emails for Division One and Division Two. It's pretty similar. They're not supposed to email you with recruiting interest, and you can email them, and you should email them. Like we talked about in an earlier episode, let them know that you're interested in their school, give them your tournaments that you'll be going to, and then send them highlight video. And what you'll get in response typically is one of three things. They can let you know that they're not allowed to talk to you before June 15th of your junior year for NCAA rules. Then they're allowed to ask you to fill out a questionnaire, which I recommend doing. And lastly, they're allowed to send you information on camps. Now, those are the three ways that they can respond to your emails. Now, let's talk about campus visits. Campus visits are a very important part of your recruiting experience, and we're going to go much deeper on campus visits in general in an upcoming episode. For now, we're going to be talking about the difference between official and unofficial visits. The basics that you need to know are that any visit to a college campus by you as a student athlete or by your parents that is paid for in any way by the college is considered an official visit. Visits that are paid for by you and your parents are considered unofficial visits. So the key to remember in determining if a visit to campus is official or unofficial is not only when it happens, but who pays for it when you get there. So let's start with the unofficial visits. These are your easiest way to get to campus, since unofficial visits can happen at any time in the recruiting process with no age restrictions if you're visiting a Division II, Division III, or NAIA schools. But if you're interested in taking an unofficial visit to D1 school, you have to wait until August 1st of your junior year. Now, the NCAA does not limit the number of unofficial visits that you can take to any school or the number you can take in total. So you can take these unofficial visits to a campus when you're on vacation, or you can add them on when you're already traveling to a club tournament. 
just check and see if a school that you're interested in is within driving distance from a tournament you're already playing in. You can either go a day early or stay a day late to check things out. Just make sure to email the college coach well in advance to let them know you're coming. Official visits are the most restricted way to get to a college campus, simply because it involves having the college pay for you or your family's travel. This last piece, we're going to go in chronological order. At the D2 level, you can begin going on official visits on June 15th prior to your junior year of school. Now, you've heard this date a lot because this date is special on the calendar, as it's the first date you're allowed open communication with both Division I and Division II schools. Then, for Division I, you're allowed to start scheduling official visits on August 1st of your junior year. Lastly, you're allowed to start going on official visits to D3 schools and AI schools on January 1st of your junior year. Now, at the D2, D3, and NAI levels, there are no limits to the overall number of official visits that you can go on. The only restriction is that you can take an official visit once to each school. But at the D1 level, not only do they restrict you to only being allowed to take one visit to each school, they also restrict that you can only have five official visits total. So make sure that you're choosing wisely and using these official visits as the last step in your recruiting process. The last section we're going to take a look at is the amount of time that you're required to spend in the gym in season, the amount of time required of you when you're out of season, and then the amount of time required of you when you're in summer. The time commitment required to play at each of the different levels isn't something that I think gets enough consideration in the recruiting process. Typically, it's only something that you can really get your hands on once you're in it and then it's too late. But here are some basic guidelines that we have known across the industry to be true. Division one is the toughest and most rigorous of time commitments. The athletes report on campus at the beginning of August usually have three weeks of preseason. And then your regular season starts and you have four weekends where you travel different parts of the country and play in different tournaments. Typically, you'll get to host one or two of those weekends and then your conference play starts. And then it's every weekend until Thanksgiving. And that's when your conference play usually ends up and usually the regular season ends then. Selection Sunday is the Sunday after Thanksgiving and with national championship happening the third week in December. Now, the Ivy League is a little different. Of uh, They report a week or two later, and they lose out on the first weekend of competition. This is to limit the time spent on campus when the other students are not, and travel during season is also such that you don't miss as many classes that you might as some other Division I schools. Then Division II, Division Three, they usually report a couple weeks later, middle of August, and then the playing season begins in Labor Day weekend. The regular season ends in mid-November, and the national championships December 11. Typically, your first two weekends are at tournaments where you travel and play different competition outside your region before your conference play starts. Sometimes, certain regions and conferences have a mid to late season crossover tournament within the region for ranking purposes. D2 offers a great balance, and even in season, it allows you to have great interaction with other sports on campus. Then, Division III, NAI, their season begins the first weekend of September, and then regular season ends in October. Then they have their national championship at the end of November. And Division Three really offers athletes more free time of all any of the levels so they can have a well-rounded college experience. The school life balance is really important to them as well. And Division Three is probably the easiest of the levels for you to be a multi-sport athlete. Since there is very little time requirement in the spring for Division Three schools, that allows you to do some other special things.
The NAI has a playing season similar to that of the D2 and D3, and junior college has a much busier season and starts a little earlier than Division II does, and they usually have a couple more tournaments. Now, that being said, level alone is not a reason, in my opinion, to choose a school or eliminate a school. Ultimately, you should be looking to find the right fit for you, and that's your number one goal. Every division has high levels of play. Within every level, there are programs with great team culture and programs where the culture is challenging. You can find great coaches and mentors at every level, and you will foster friendships that will likely continue the rest of your life. Looking for the level of impact that you can have on the athletic program and what the championship experience is for the given school is something that I think should be given a lot more weight. Now, let's take this into comparison. Say you're playing at a mid to low level Division I school or at a high level Division II school. The level of volleyball that you play, as far as competition goes, is going to be pretty similar. But now when it comes time to postseason play, that experience is going to be very different. Say you're at the mid-level Division I, you do well, you have an amazing year, you make the NCAA tournament, and then you're the sacrificial lamb for one of the top 10 teams. Or you're at the Division II school, and you have a legitimate chance to make it out of your region, possibly playing for a national tournament, which is in the Elite Eight. Now, let's talk about you individually. You can have the same stat line achieve everything statistically at either mid-level to low-level D1 or a high-level Division II, and that means you played exactly the same. But where the differences come into play is at a Division II school, you have those chances to be the all-conference player. If you're an all-conference player, you've got a chance to be an all-region player. And then you also have the opportunity to, if your team is good enough, to be an All-American. That is the highest honor that you can earn as a collegiate player. So having the level of impact and having those personal accolades, those are important to some people. And those are also things that can show up on your resume when you're applying for jobs that may give you a leg up to say, Hey, this person played at this division two school, but found this level of mastery. They're pretty good at what they do. They know what it takes to win and they're used to driving their team to success. I agree that the college division should be considered by athletes aspiring to play but it shouldn't be the only factor when you make a decision about which schools to pursue. You should definitely consider your athletic and academic goals, how each school will help you achieve those goals and how you're going to feel on that campus. That campus environment is something that is extremely important and should be evaluated in addition to the athletic division. You can find this campus environment by going on campus visits And then if you have a chance to go on one of your visits during playing season, whether that be spring or fall, you'll get a chance to see the volleyball on campus. Now, if you get a chance to watch a home volleyball game, that will give you the answer to every question that you have about playing environment as far as the teamwork, how players interact with coaches, support from administrators, support from staff, and just how fun are you going to have on campus when you're an athlete there that you can't really get in any other way. So make sure that you're considering that, but also it comes down to financial aid. And that's something that, you know, between the levels that offer scholarships, the levels that offer partial scholarships, the levels that give you more academic money, and then the levels that don't offer any athletic scholarship at all, that that does need to be taken into consideration. We understand that. You also need to check out your skill level, how that compares to those in the level you'll be playing. Will you be miserable just trying to catch up and fit in? Or will you be able to be near the top of the pack, which means you're going to have a better time because you're probably going to be playing more. 
and then your overall goals. Sometimes you know what it is you want to major in very early, and then making sure that you're choosing the school, their relationships, opportunities of the departments on campus to help further your career goals. And then understand there's financial aid at every institution, Division One, Division Two, NAIA, junior college, every single school offers some level of financial aid. And a great way to know how much you're going to have to pay out of pocket, you can go to a school's admissions page and check out their financial aid calculator. This will take into consideration a lot of factors. So make sure you have your parents with you or parents, this is something that you can check out when your daughter tells you that this is a school that they're interested in. So it can give you a lot of detail to whether or not realistically this can be a school for them or it needs to be something that isn't quite the fit. Now, lastly, finding schools and considering where to play can be very challenging because you do need to take in the level of education and the level of play, among other factors. Your coaches and your support system. Athletes, you must evaluate your future based on the realistic skill level that you have and that you feel is attainable by you. If you're not sure about this, what your ceiling is or where your projection is, have that conversation with a trusted coach. Trust me, I've been on the side of this and your coaches will be honest with you because they want you to be able to be successful. So you can always aim to prove them wrong and go bigger. However, having that honesty is very key in this process. When you're sending emails out, you can be aiming for schools that are your target, aiming for schools that are the fit schools, and then some that are the safety or comfort schools. These are schools that you know you can get into academically and that you know you will do great at athletically as well. So all of these factors should be taken into account in finding your best fit. Hopefully, you have a better understanding of what college athletic level is right for you, whether you're just starting out on your recruiting process or making your final decision on where to commit. Knowing the important differences within the various collegiate levels is definitely something you should consider. I know that the recruiting process can seem overwhelming at times, but understanding the different levels and what each one offers you allows you to target the right level of schools to find your best fit. Thank you for joining this episode down the line. I've enjoyed having you with me. Thank you for being a part of my tribe. Until next time.